I can picture the boys over there, making plenty of noise over there. Welcome to Fred Talks, where we sit down with the Army JAG Corps historian, archivist, and professor of legal history, Mr. Fred Bork. I'm Major Joel Hood, Marine Corps representative in the Center for Law and Military Operations. That's CLAMO. Today, Mr. Bork and I will be exploring the history of enlisted personnel in the JAG Corps. Attorneys just can't and probably shouldn't try to do it alone. Isn't that right, Mr. Bork? I don't think there's any doubt about that. You always need support. And that's really what the role of uh, today's paralegals is all about, and that is supporting uh, judge advocates in legal operations. So um, I want to talk about three things in the history of enlisted soldiers in the Corps. Uh, First of all, the origins, uh, when they first came in. Second thing I want to talk about is the metamorphosis or transformation of enlisted soldiers in the Corps, their education, their training, and their role, and finally a few personalities. Sounds great. Let's dig in. You should know at this point that the first judge advocate, uh, William Tudor, is appointed by Congress July 29, 1775. But there were no enlisted personnel in the Corps until World War One, And that seems sort of strange, except the JAG Corps was so small uh, in the early days of the Army, and really up until the, the 20th century, that probably the view was, the big Army view was, if you need help as judge advocates, uh, you can hire civilians. And so we had legal clerks, but they were civilians. To bring it home to you, in 1916, so the year before World War I starts, there were only 17 judge advocates in the entire department. So you can see that it made sense for Big Army in those days to say, hey, if you need clerks, hire some civilians. It's pretty clear that the very first enlisted personnel to be involved in legal operations were soldiers who could take shorthand, and shorthand being the key to transcribing courts martial. So the uh, Manual for Courts Martial, 1908, for example, authorizes a judge advocate to hire an enlisted soldier, a suitable enlisted soldier, to be a court reporter. So enlisted men, in this case it's an all-male army, enlisted men are not yet in the department, but they are assisting judge advocates at courts martial, probably because they can take shorthand. It's not until World War I that the Army formally authorizes enlisted men in the JAG department and only for the duration of the war, or as the Army phrased it, the duration of the emergency. And so enlisted personnel come into the JAG Corps in 1917, serve in 1918, probably uh, about 100 is my recollection. And the interesting thing was that the judge advocate general was told, you may bring them in, these enlisted men, at whatever enlisted rank you think is appropriate. And as a result, almost every enlisted clerk in the JAG department was a sergeant major in in World War One. Now, why is that significant? Well, uh, a private in World War One made $30 a month but a sergeant major 
made $51 a month. Are you sure you want to be telling this to all of the enlisted personnel right now? Well, it, pay was bad. Pay was bad. Rank um, was good. Pardon me? The rank was good. The rank was good. But the point is that we needed enlisted personnel and mostly as clerks, as legal clerks. After World War I, as the Army shrank, uh, the JAG Department was told it had to get rid of all of its NCOs. So by 1920, there are no enlisted men in the Corps. And enlisted personnel come back, I think, uh, although I've never been able to pin down the exact date, I think in the late 1930s, certainly right before the start of World War II as the Army is expanding and there's a need for legal clerks. And, of course, if we get to today, uh, paralegals are an integral part, an important part of the JAG core structure. So, as I've said at the beginning, the whole idea was that we needed legal clerks. And in the 1950s, the 1960s, uh, it was all about courts martial, and legal clerks were all about typing and filing. I know that when I came into the JAG Corps over 40 years ago, we had uh, enlisted uh, paralegals, court reporters, who could type error-free, 125 words a minute. That's impressive. A lot, really fast, on an IBM Selectric typewriter. But you need to remember that in 1969, uh, the Army tried 59,000 courts martial. 59,000 courts martial. Today, we're trying about 500 cases a year. Oh, we're talking orders of magnitude here. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. So we needed clerks. We needed legal clerks to do all this typing. I mean, this is a world of paper. Everything gets typed. And by the way, officers don't know how to type. And if they did know how to type, they're not going to admit it. So we have hundreds and hundreds, thousands of legal clerks uh, doing typing and filing, mostly courts martial. The big metamorphosis came in 1972 when the JAG Corps decided for the first time that we needed more formal training and education for our legal clerks. Prior to 1972, if you wanted to be a legal clerk, you had to MOS reclass. You could not enlist in the Army to be a legal clerk. You had to enlist in another branch. Uh, and then if you wanted to reclass, you took a self-paced exam. And if you passed the exam, you reclassed. What usually happened is that you might have been an 11 Bravo infantry, for example, but you knew how to type. And as soon as the first sergeant discovered that you knew how to type, you were in the orderly room and you were doing chapter packets and Article 15s and you liked it. And you said, hey, I like being an 11 Bravo or maybe I don't, uh, but I'd like to be a legal clerk. And so that's how we got our enlisted folks, these MOS reclasses. What happened, though, was that after the Military Justice Act of 1968, and this act required for the first time that judge advocates be involved at the trial of special courts, all of a sudden we had a huge need for more legal clerks. 
So prior to 1968 in the Military Justice Act, which became effective 1 August 1969, all special courts were done by line officers, done by line officers. But once Congress passed this legislation, now requiring judge advocates at special courts, boy, we needed a lot of legal clerks. And all of a sudden, the JAG Corps realized we can't depend on MOS reclassifications to fill out our enlisted personnel. Because you can see how it might work. One month you'd get 10 reclasses, but the next month, maybe only two. And so how can you manage your spaces and your faces on the enlisted side of the house? The answer is you can't. And so the JAG Corps said, let's start an AIT. And so we started the AIT for legal clerks at Fort Benjamin Harrison, Indiana. And why there? Because in those days, typing and filing was really what the AG branch did, and the adjutant general school was at Fort Ben Harrison. Makes sense. So we did the legal clerk school there as well. So starting in 1972, then, you'd enlist, you go through basic, then you go to AIT at Fort Benjamin Harrison, and then you'd become a legal clerk. So that's one big change in education and training. But I think the more important metamorphosis is away from being a legal clerk to being a paralegal. And my view as, as your historian is that there were two reasons for this. The first one was the rise of the machine. The computer. Once we went to desktops for everyone, everyone did their own typing. Attorneys included. Attorneys included. So the need for a lot of clerks who were typing disappeared. And at the same time, courts martial rates really went down, down, down. That's curious. And I think part of that is the end of a draft army, because if you had a draftee army, you had a lot of soldiers who didn't want to be there. So they commit crime to get out. Crime to get out, or at least didn't care if they had a special courts martial, because they weren't going to stay in. So all of a sudden, with the rise of of the computer and technology and a declining courts martial, the JAG Corps realized we don't need legal clerks, Mm. but we need paralegals who really are more than clerks, but are actually an integral part of military operations. And so we're going to transform that MOS in the way we educate and train so that our young men and women who are paralegals are actually doing legal-related work. And that's the real metamorphosis. And that's where we are today. So last thing to talk about, a couple of personalities. One of our very, very early sergeants major in the JAG Corps uh, was a man by the name of Toomey, Sergeant Major Toomey. Uh, There's an upcoming article in the Army Lawyer about him. He enlisted in the Army, and he was an attorney in Montana, And what's significant about Toomey is that he was the regimental sergeant major at the 8th Division out in Siberia. Wow. And so he served as a very senior legal clerk in World War I. Uh, Second personality to talk about is uh, Sergeant Major John Nolan, the very first sergeant major of the JAG Corps. Nolan was an infantryman in Vietnam, later served as an infantry officer, 
transitioned into the JAG Corps in 1978 and became the, the Sergeant Major of the JAG Corps in 1980. Two more, Mike Glaze, the first Command Sergeant Major in the JAG Corps. He was our regimental uh, Sergeant Major at the same time. This is during the tenure of General Black as TJAG. Mike Glaze not only is the first Command Sergeant Major in JAG Corps history, but also the very first enlisted soldier, NCO, to have 30 years in the MOS because he was not a reclassification. And the last uh, uh, personality to talk about is our most highly decorated NCO in JAG Corps history, and that would be uh, Cornell Gilmore, tragically killed in action over to Crete, Iraq in 2003 when the helicopter in which he was riding uh, was a passenger, was shot down. He's the most highly decorated because he was awarded a posthumous Distinguished Service Medal. So that's a quick history of uh, enlisted folks, uh, non-commissioned officers in the JAG Corps. More to follow, many more fascinating aspects of NCO history, uh, but that'll get us started. It certainly will. Well, Mr. Bork, thank you for that, that introduction into enlisted personnel in the JAG Corps. We would ask you, listener, to consider listening to all podcasts of Fred Talks on the Quill and Sword, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or on tjaglix.army.mil. The views expressed or implied on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the United States Army JAG Corps or other organizations with which the participants are associated or by whom they are employed.